welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Community-acquired pneumonia causes an estimated 1.5 million hospitalizations annually, and the World Health Organization reports that lower respiratory tract infections are the fourth leading cause of death globally in 2019. The possible benefit of steroids in pneumonia has been questioned by researchers for over 50 years, and justifiably so, as these agents may decrease systemic inflammatory response to infection and reduce organ dysfunction. Today, internal medicine pharmacist extraordinaire, Dr. Caitlin Schantz, puts on her thinking cap and reviews literature surrounding steroid efficacy and safety in community-acquired pneumonia. Of patients diagnosed with community-acquired pneumonia, 30% will require hospitalization. Of those patients, up to one-third will unfortunately pass away within the next year. With the high prevalence of community-acquired pneumonia, it's likely that each of us sitting in this room here today will care for a patient with community-acquired pneumonia, if we haven't already. <coughs> Therefore, optimizing care is of the utmost importance. The possible utility of steroids in community-acquired pneumonia was first hypothesized in the 1950s, and it's still studied to this day, some 70 years later. Even within the last decade, there's been an increase in the amount of literature looking to try and answer this question. So I'll help you join me today in putting on your thinking cap as we look at some of the literature and some of the guideline recommendations regarding steroid use in community-acquired pneumonia. As for objectives today, we're going to start with the epidemiology and pathophysiology of community-acquired pneumonia, or as I may reference to as CAP for the future of this presentation. We'll specifically try and focus on where steroids play a role in the pathophysiology. From there, we'll take a look at the literature at steroid use in both non-severe and severe CAP. And finally, we'll take a look at those efficacy and safety outcomes from the literature and apply that to a patient case. Despite the discovery of new antibiotics and vaccines to help prevent community-acquired pneumonia, the mortality rate still remains high. In 2019, the World Health Organization reported that lower respiratory tract infections were the fourth leading cause of death behind ischemic heart disease, stroke, and COPD. This is also a prevalent infection in the United States with an incidence of 24 cases per 1,000 person years. And this disproportionately affects our older population with the incidence increasing with age. Overall, CAP has a very high impact on our healthcare systems and our patients with over 1.5 million hospitalizations per year. So what is community-acquired pneumonia? and how does it occur? CAP is commonly defined as an acute infection of the lung. Diagnosis often includes changes in chest radiology, for example, an infiltrate on a chest x-ray, and then we use that to correlate with clinical symptoms such as cough, dyspnea, fatigue, leukocytosis, among other things. This infection is also defined as occurring less than 48 hours from time and admission, as this helps us tell the difference between community-acquired and hospital-acquired pneumonia. So how does this infection occur? 
first, we either have bacteria, viruses, or other pathogenic organisms invade the respiratory tract. And this can be via inhalation, aspiration of oral pharyngeal contents, or hematogenous spread from an extrapulmonary site of infection. From here, these microorganisms will replicate. We do have alveolar macrophages that are going to attempt to resolve this infection through phagocytosis, and they'll release inflammatory cytokines into the bloodstream, such as TNF-alpha and interleukins. This will allow for an increase in microvascular permeability and allow for other immune cells, such as neutrophils, lymphocytes, and antibodies to the site of infection. This systemic inflammation can become dysregulated and result in a hyperinflammatory state, and this can lead to damage to the lung parenchyma or organ dysfunction. So where might steroids play a role in this process? We think that they might help reduce the amount of cytokine production and the overall inflammatory response that we see, as highlighted on the right-hand side of this cycle. So how do steroids do this? Imagine we have steroids as seen by the yellow circles at the top. Steroids are able to diffuse across the cell membrane into the cytoplasm. And from here, they can bind to glucocorticoid receptors as seen in the brown rectangles. This steroid receptor complex then undergoes a conformational change, and this can allow for entry into the nucleus, where it can bind to glucocorticoid response elements that are responsible for transcription of genes. This can lead to transactivation or transrepression, and this complex as well can have non-genomic effects. But overall, we think that this leads to attenuation of pro-inflammatory cytokine production and induction of anti-inflammatory protein transcription. So this leads us to our first audience question of the day. Through which of the following mechanisms are Codicor steroids thought to have a positive impact on community-acquired pneumonia? A, increase pro-inflammatory cytokines, B, decrease anti-inflammatory cytokines, C, decrease pro-inflammatory cytokines, or D, direct elimination of pathogenic organisms. You can either text Mayo RX to 22333 and then your answer, use the Poll Everywhere app, or respond at polleverywhere.com slash MayoRx. So if we look at answer C, I agree with the majority of the audience. So if we look at answer D, direct elimination of pathogenic organisms, this is what I would expect to see with antibiotics, which is first-line treatment for community-acquired pneumonia. As for our inflammatory cytokines, I would expect to see a decrease in pro-inflammatory and an increase in anti-inflammatory. Therefore, A and B would be the incorrect answers, and C would be correct. So as we think about our patients that have community-acquired pneumonia, it's important to remember that patients may have other conditions as well. For example, they could have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. They could have acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS, a COVID-19 infection, or septic shock. And it's important to recognize that all of these other conditions can impact the pulmonary system. Some of these conditions have literature or guidelines that may suggest use of steroids, for example, the surviving sepsis guidelines may recommend use of steroids in patients that have refractory septic shock. And current recommendations for COVID-19 therapy includes dexamethasone for patients that meet certain respiratory and oxygen requirements. Today, we're gonna to try to specifically focus on patients that have community-acquired pneumonia without these other conditions present. So let's start by taking a look into the literature. While one of the 
first times we saw this hypothesized of steroid use in CAP was in the 1950s. One of our first larger randomized controlled trials was completed by Blum et al. in 2015. This trial was a double-blind, multi-center, randomized placebo-controlled trials, and it was completed at seven different hospitals in Switzerland from 2009 to 2014. They included adults that were admitted with pneumonia on admission and diagnosed in less than 24 hours, and they defined CAP as a new infiltrate on chest radiology and having at least one clinical symptom, which they defined as cough, sputum production, dyspnea, elevated temperature, abnormal breathing sounds on auscultation, leukocytosis, or leukopenia. They also attempted to uh, adjust for confounding factors. So for example, they excluded patients that had GI bleeding, adrenal insufficiency, or used greater than 0.5 milligrams per kilogram prednisone at baseline. Patients were then randomized to receive prednisone 50 milligrams or placebo daily for seven days. This trial included almost 800 patients for an intention to treat analysis, and they also completed a per protocol for their primary outcome, in which they lost about 30 patients in each arm. The intention to treat analysis allows us to see a clearer picture of clinical practice where not all of our patients may receive full therapy, but the per protocol allows us to see the true outcome if patients were to follow therapy all the way through. As for the primary outcome, Blum et al. used time to clinical stability. They defined this as stable vital signs for 24 hours, and this included a temperature of less than 37.8 degrees Celsius, a heart rate of less than 100, a respiratory rate of 24, a systolic blood pressure of greater than 90, or greater than 100 if a patient had a history of hypertension, no vasopressor use, a mental status back to baseline, and oxygenation stats such as uh, pulse oximetry greater than 90%. It's important to note that this is a composite outcome, so each of those variables had to be met to define clinical stability. While many of these are objective in nature, one of them is subjective, such as mental status change back to baseline. Nevertheless, this is a very commonly used composite outcome in pneumonia literature currently. In this study, both the intention to treat and the per protocol resulted in 1.4 day fewer time to clinical stability favoring pregnazone. So what were some of the other outcomes that we see? Time to discharge, they found that it was one day less favoring pregnazone, and they also found one day less of intravenous antibiotics favoring pregnazone. However, the total duration of antibiotics was no different. In addition, they saw no difference in all-cause mortality, pneumonia recurrence, and hospital readmission. It's also important to look at safety as well. They did find increased rates of hyperglycemia with the use of steroids, and this is with new insulin requirements. However, they didn't find any difference in pneumonia complications such as empyema or ARDS. So their overall conclusion was that pregnazone shortens time to clinical stability without increases in complications outside of hyperglycemia. One thing to note about this study was about 50% of the patients had a pneumonia severity index score of four or five, suggesting more severe pneumonia. And that begs to question whether patients with more severe may benefit more than less severe. Looking at some of the other trials, I include four additional trials to kind of compare and contrast the trial design and the outcomes. So first, looking at the number of patients, we see quite a wide range from the low 30s to almost 800. 
The main concern revolves around trials being able to adequately power their primary and secondary outcomes. And this is more of a concern with a lower number of patients. Next, we look at steroid use, and we find that there's quite a variety as well. Two studies used intravenous prednisolone, one study used methylprednisolone, another dexamethasone, and Blum et al. was the only one to use oral prednisone of these five. As for duration, we see a wide range again, from three days being the lowest to 10 days being the longest. However, when we look at our 10 days, we find that they used a tapered approach, where the other studies provided a consistent dose of steroids for the total duration of therapy. So let's take a look at some of the outcomes. When we look at time to clinical stability, we looked at Blum et al., and we found that they found a decrease in the time to clinical stability with the use of steroids, as represented by the downward-facing green arrow. Snyder's et al., however, found no difference between placebo and steroids, and that's represented here by the gray X. Other studies chose to not look at this outcome in their primary or secondary, and that's represented by the black dashes. As we look at mortality, we find that none of these studies that looked at mortality found a significant difference between steroids and placebo. As we start to look at time to discharge or length of stay, we find that Blum et al. was one of the ones that showed steroid use decrease the time uh, to discharge or length of stay. And we had a few other studies have the same report, but others showed no significant difference. As for pneumonia complications, we find that most of them did not find a significant difference. However, we did have one study show that there was a reduction in late failure with the use of steroids. And they define this as patients who were given steroids and started to look better after admission. However, at that 72 hour mark, they showed signs or symptoms of the recurrence of pneumonia. Lastly, we look at safety outcomes. So regarding hyperglycemia, we do have a mix here. We have two studies showing increased rates of hyperglycemia with the use of steroids, and we have one study showing no significant difference. So with the variation in these studies designs and the outcomes overall, how do we go about trying to compile all of this data? Well, fortunately, we do have many meta-analyses that can look at these different outcomes altogether. The first one that I want to present today is Stern et al., and it was published in 2017. It included 13 randomized controlled trials, including the ones that we just talked about, and included all trials from 1966 to 2014 that fit their inclusion criteria. They included only studies that were admitted patients for CAP and were either given steroids or placebo, and they also included healthcare-associated pneumonia. This was a classification of pneumonia that was used prior to 2016. It was thought that those patients had a higher risk of multidrug resistant organisms. However, since 2016, this is no longer a classification that's used. As for their primary outcome, they looked at all cause mortality within 30 days, and they found that this favored the steroid group. Although the researchers questioned, is there a difference between non severe and severe pneumonia? Breaking down their outcome, they define non severe. CAP as a pneumonia severity score of less than four, or a severe CAP as a pneumonia severity score of four or five. When they looked at mortality outcomes, they found a similar outcome in the severe CAP patients where it favored steroids. However, when we look at non-severe CAP, they unfortunately found no significant difference. As for signs of early clinical failure, which they defined as death from any cause, radiographic progression of pneumonia, or clinical instability on days 
five through eight, they found that both patients in non-severe and severe CAP benefited from the use of steroids. They also completed some other outcomes grouping both the non-severe and the severe CAP patients together. They found that need for mechanical ventilation, development of shock, length of hospital or ICU stay, and rate of pneumonia complications preferred steroids. And they didn't find a difference between steroids and placebo in transfer to the ICU or secondary infections. When looking at safety outcomes, they reported that there was an increased rate of hyperglycemia in patients receiving steroids. With every good meta-analysis, it's important to look at the biases that we may have in the studies that are included. So as we look at this chart, the green represents low or unclear bias, where the yellow uh, represents high bias. As we look at the bottom for the reporting bias, we find that it's higher than the others, and reporting bias is when researchers choose to only report certain data when there may be other, uh, other data out there that may change their outcomes. On the positive, we see there's a very low risk of attrition bias, and this would be uh, when we have selective dropout of patients for who systematically differ from others. So this could be a bad experience to a medication or unwanted side effect, among other reasons. So what if it was possible to take all of these studies, take all of the patients and the data, and put it all together and analyze it? Well, luckily, we do have one of those studies, and Briol et al. attempted to do an individual patient data meta-analysis, and they requested protocols and data from investigators of all eligible trials that they were able to get a hold of. These, uh, these researchers looked at uh, specific trials that included patients admitted for CAP, including that healthcare-associated pneumonia we discussed before, and were able to get the protocols and data from six randomized controlled trials from 2010 to 2017, and included almost 1,500 patients. As for outcomes, they found that length of stay, time to clinical stability, and duration of IV antibiotics favored steroids, while there was no difference in all-cause mortality ICU admission, and early or late treatment failure. Overall, they did see an increased rate of rehospitalization in this group. So this leads us to our second question of the day. Which of the following was a reported outcome in patients given steroids for community-acquired pneumonia in either of the two meta-analyses we just looked at, Stern or Brielle et al., that we discussed in this presentation? A, we have increased rate of hyperglycemia, B is increased time to clinical stability, C is increased 30-day mortality, and D is increased length of hospital stay. So I would agree with the majority of the group here, and so we'll go through the answers together. When we look at letter D, uh, Stern et al. actually found a decrease in the length of hospital stay. When we look at C, there was no difference in 30-day mortality, and that was found in non-severe patients. Um, looking at letter B, there was a decrease in time for clinical stability in both non-severe and severe. However, our Brielle et al. meta-analysis did show an increased rate of hyperglycemia. So great job, guys. So now that we've looked at some literature, it's important to remember that as when we look at community-acquired pneumonia, we have a classification of non-severe and severe. And looking at those meta-analyses, we saw a possible increased rate of rehospitalization in both groups. However, when we look at non-severe, there likely is not a mortality benefit. So for this time being, I would say that we currently should not use steroids in non-severe CAP. However, looking at the literature, there could be a possible mortality benefit in severe. So let's take a look at some of that literature. 
And before we look at the literature, I think it's important to realize how we classify severe pneumonia as there's multiple ways that we can do so. One of the classification systems that we use commonly is the Infectious Diseases Society of America and American Thoracic Society or IDSA ATS criteria. And they define severe pneumonia as at least one major criteria, including septic shock requiring vasopressors or respiratory failure requiring mechanical ventilation. If patient do does not have any of those major criteria, they could have three or more of the minor criteria and still classify for a severe cap as seen in the blue box on the left-hand side. Another classification system is the pneumonia, pneumonia severity index score, as I discussed earlier. So this specifically gives patients points based off of characteristics such as respiratory rate and other vital signs. From here, this score then puts patients into risk classes, and that risk class is associated with a percent of mortality. Commonly in the literature, they define class four and five as severe pneumonia or more severe pneumonia, and they have the risk classes of one through three as being non-severe or less severe. Other measures that we commonly use are port scores or CURB-65. However, we will not be discussing that today in this presentation. So one of the newer trials that we have is from Maduri et al. in 2022. And this was a double-blind, multi-center, randomized, placebo-controlled trial that was completed at 42 different veteran affairs hospitals from 2012 to 2016. They included adult patients presenting with severe CAP or healthcare-associated pneumonia, and they were enrolled within 72 to 96 hours of admission. They also had to be admitted to an intensive care unit or an intermediate care unit. This specific trial did a tapered approach to the steroids. So they started with methylprednisolone 40 milligrams per day on days one through seven. They then went down to 20 milligrams per day on days eight through 14. 12 milligrams per day on days 15 through 17, and finally four milligrams on days 18, 18 through 20. And this was compared to a placebo. The study drug was given using a continuous infusion. However, when patients were discharged from the ICU, this was changed to twice a day dosing, either intravenous or enteral. This trial included about 600 patients overall with 300 patients in each uh, arm of the study. So looking at outcomes overall for efficacy, their primary outcome was 60-day mortality in which they found no difference between the steroids and the placebo group. As for secondary outcomes, they looked at duration of ICU stay and hospital stay and once again found no significant difference. Other secondary outcomes such as vasopressor-dependent shock, mechanical ventilation-free days, and in-hospital mortality also showed no difference. But what about the safety outcomes? Once again, they found no difference in pneumonia or methylprednisolone complications. So their overall conclusion was that methylprednisolone does not reduce mortality, length of stay, or mechanical ventilation needs in ICU patients admitted for severe pneumonia. But what do some of the other studies say? So once again, I included four more trials for us to compare and contrast. And as we look at the number of patients again, we see quite a range from the 30s to almost 600. We see a little more consistency this time with steroid use with three of the trials using hydrocortisone and two of the trials using methylprednisolone. As for duration, we see an even wider spread from one day to 20 days. However, as we looked at in the Maduri trial, the 20 day duration of steroids was a tapered approach while the others were not. 
As for outcomes, when we start to look at mortality, we find that there was one study that showed a decrease in mortality with the use of steroids. However, all the other studies showed no difference. This was similar in length of stay, where the same study showed a decrease in length of stay with steroids, while the other showed no difference. <laughs> mechanical, ventilation, mechanical ventilation, we get a more even spread across the studies, with two of them showing reduction of mechanical ventilation and two of them showing no difference. And this was very similar in septic shock. Finally, when we look at hyperglycemia, we find that the studies that did report this outcome showed no difference between the two. Finally, I wanted to include a meta-analysis that encompasses all of the trials that we've talked about today. And this was published by Sunim et al. in 2022. They included any trial that admitted patients for community-acquired pneumonia and were able to include 16 randomized controlled trials and include almost 4,000 patients in total. It's important to note that this includes both non-severe and severe, as we've discussed about through this presentation. As for outcomes, they said that intensive care unit admission and need for mechanical ventilation favored steroids. However, there was no difference in all-cause mortality, treatment failure, gastrointestinal bleeding, and secondary infections. However, they did see an increased rate of hospital readmission and hyperglycemia in patients that received steroids. Therefore, they said these patients or these outcomes favored placebo. So what are some of our current guideline recommendations? for the use of steroids in community-acquired pneumonia. If we look at the IDSA ATS guidelines, they currently recommend not using steroids. However, they say that if a patient does have a comorbidity where steroids are considered standard of care, for example, a COPD exacerbation in addition to community-acquired pneumonia, they would say to recommend use. Next, when we look at the 2015 British Thoracic Society guidelines, they have a similar stance to the IDSA ATS guidelines and where they currently do not recommend use. Lastly, we have the 2017 South African guidelines, and they say that we can possibly consider steroids in severe cap in patients that require ICU admission. However, they do have a caveat that they would possibly not consider this if a patient were to have influenza or tuberculosis, or if a patient has a history of a gastrointestinal bleed. So this will lead us to our last audience question of the day. So KR is a 52-year-old female presenting to the ED with increased shortness of breath and sputum. Their chest x-ray shows a left lower lobe opacity that's suggestive of pneumonia. For past medical history, we have hypertension, gout, and type 2 diabetes with a last A1C of 9.7, suggesting uncontrolled diabetes. As for medication list, we have allopurin, amlodipine, and metformin. And overall in the notes, you see that the patient is hemodynamically stable and is classified as a PSI or pneumonia severity index risk class of 2. So based on the current literature presented prior and the patient's clinical presentation, would you recommend the use of steroids in this patient? Right, so I think I would agree with the majority here. So in this specific case, I wouldn't give steroids. For the reason being, they don't specifically have any stated comorbidities such as COPD, septic shock, ARDS, where I would think steroids may be beneficial according to other guidelines or literature. In addition, the patient has a pneumonia severity index risk class of two, which is more suggestive of a non-severe pneumonia. And as we saw in the literature, there could be increased rates of rehospitalization and no difference in mortality if we were to give steroids or not. 
Lastly, this patient does have uncontrolled diabetes, and we know that steroids can increase blood glucose, so that can make it harder to manage in the inpatient setting. So I would agree with the majority that in this case, I would not give steroids. So you may be asking, so when do we use steroids? And so I'd like to put this on a spectrum of where we have patients with non-severe pneumonia all the way to the most severe cases that we see, maybe those patients in the ICU. When we think about non-severe, we talked about an increased rate of rehospitalization and the likely no benefit in mortality. So I would say for these patients with non-severe, we currently would not recommend use. However, it becomes much more gray as we start to move into the severe cap picture. Patients on the most severe ends of the cap, for example, if we were using the ATS IDSA criteria, maybe these patients have both of the major criteria and maybe they have eight of the minor criteria, making them more severe, and they're in a hyperinflammatory state, maybe they have an elevated CRP, an elevated uh, IL-6, these patients, I think we possibly could, could benefit from use. And so in these patients with the most severe, I think this is a great discussion to have on the risks and benefits of use. However, we're left with this space in the middle where we're just not quite sure regarding the literature as there's different outcomes through the studies and even the different meta-analyses having different outcomes. And so I think there are limitations in the literature. And so what are some of those limitations? I think we first have to think about the patient population. So specifically, would a patient with a pneumonia severity index score of five benefit more than a patient that has a score of four? We're not quite sure. However, they're both severe pneumonia by many of the studies. In addition, many of the studies don't break down the patients by the type of pneumonia. While it can be difficult to determine, for example, a sputum culture may come back with no growth, but we still think they have pneumonia, if we were to isolate certain organisms, would certain patients with certain organisms benefit more or less from steroids? There's still currently a gap in the literature. When we think about timing, we think about this hyperinflammatory state. So at which point would we have to give steroids to help prevent this occurring? Is that within 24 hours? Is it within 96 hours or with, even within the first week? So we need more literature to look at regarding the timing of when steroids would be needed. Lastly, when we looked at the studies in those tables, we saw that multiple studies use different corticosteroids with different dosing regimens and different durations. And so until we get more guidance on what would be the best, there's currently a gap in the literature where we could look to research different types of steroids at different durations and compare those two. So finally, I'll just provide some final conclusions from this presentation today. Steroids are really thought to have an anti-inflammatory effect and reduce that pro-inflammatory signaling that we can see in community-acquired pneumonia. And literature for the past 70 years has really attempted to answer this question of whether these patients may benefit. But I do think that there's further research that needs to be done to determine the optimal patient population and steroid, as we currently think that patients with non-severe pneumonia will likely not benefit, but exactly which patients within the severe pneumonia class would benefit, we currently don't know. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.